like, we're all going to work on this in our off time. We're going to use this office for meetings. And when anyone's business kind of takes off, we'll help the other out. And so we'd all work our nine to five and we would come here after and chug away. And the Food Beast office started getting all these packages. People wanted to be featured on the site. So we started opening these packages and I called my friend Mark, who made videos together growing up. And I was like, can you just film us opening these packages as if it's like TMZ style newsroom for food? And so here we had this dilemma, this, this fact, this fact. This I've fact. been almost a decade, decade researching decade, this subject. Every aspect of your metabolic health improves. From the Hint offices in San Francisco, I'm Kara Golden, founder and CEO of Hint. You may have tried Hint Water before, but this is my podcast. Each week, we talk to some of the most creative entrepreneurs from world touring pop stars like Jay Sean to the people behind favorite Instagram accounts, including So Yummy, New York City, and even YouTubers like Sarah Dietschy. So the million dollar question, what does it really take to be unstoppable? Let's find out. Hey everyone, welcome back. Today's guest is Eli A. Ruth, and I'm super, super excited to have him here with me. Eli is the co-founder and publisher of Food Beast, the ever-growing media company that is the number one source for all things food. Today we dive into how Eli started Food Beast in his college dorm room, how he landed major brand deals with BuzzFeed and Thrillist, and the key to establishing yourself as a brand. We also touch on how he never had a business model, how to build not just a brand, but a thriving community, and what's next for Eli and Food Beast. And a special shout out to everyone who has been leaving an iTunes review for the show. Here's one from Honeybee MD. She says, I'm so inspired by Kara and not a bit surprised by the lineup of movers and shakers she has chosen to interview. Keep inspiring others on a daily basis. Thank you for what you do. Thanks a lot, Honey BMD. If you haven't already done so, it would mean so much if you could support the show by leaving me an iTunes review. And I might read yours on the next episode. You never know. You're going to love this episode with Eli A. Ruth. So sit back and enjoy the show. Eli, thank you so much for being here today. We're super excited to be chatting with you here in Los Angeles. And yeah, they're super, I know, it's super, super fun. So founder of foodbeast.com, everyone, in case you are not aware, one of the largest food websites. So Eli started this in his dorm room, University of Irvine. Is that okay? Awesome. And you were jealous of another site, or is jealous the right word, or no, just I watching? <laughs> Give me the background on this. Okay, so I was in college, and I fancied myself a clothing designer. I thought I wanted to design. Interesting. Yes, so I was in my apartment. This is my second year in college, and I'm designing this streetwear that I think is beautiful. I think it's super cool. And when you're a streetwear designer, the one website you want to be featured on is Hypebeats. It's not like your Vogue's, it's not like your Vanity Fair's, it's something for younger dudes, and, and soon now, a great female culture that is designing streetwear. Awesome. Like, I want to be on this website. Long story short, I never got featured on that site because my clothes suck. They're really ugly, I'm not a designer. But what I loved about Hypebeast was what it did for fashion, and it kind of normalized it, where 
before to get on GQ, to be on Vanity Fairs, like there's so in vogue, like it was held to such a high regard and you had to have gone to fashion school to do it. And a lot of people in streetwear didn't go to fashion school. They just are great brand builders. Yep. So I was like, you know what? I want to do this. For there's no other website out there that's taking food a little less seriously. So this is back in 08 or 09. The only websites out there were seriouseats.com. And I was like, if that, which is a great website, great recipes, but if that is the ambassador for food online, where the name is Serious Eats, we're not doing anything different than food yeah. work. And I was like, I'm, I know how to code websites. I'm going to make something called Food Beast, which is just a direct knock of Hype Beast, but for food. And I'm just going to start writing about what I want to. I wrote about what's brand new at Carl's Jr., because that's just what I could afford to eat. I would do blogs about my friends trying to eat 40 chili dogs at the cafeteria at UC Irvine. And sure enough, he exploded and spray vomited all, all the walls. And that's kind of nasty. Yeah, it was gross. So I, I didn't know, I didn't have a voice then. All I knew was that I just wanted to talk about food comfortably. Mm -hmm. And so I just kept writing and no one visited the first month, right? It was just my friends around the dorm that would read it. And then I just kept going out. There was no Facebook at the time to share my articles on. I was learning a little bit about SEO. You said 2008, 2009. This is 2008. Like okay. Very Facebook, I think the news feed was just being built, but you couldn't really share links. Yeah. And so, but then I got a surge of traffic when I wrote about an In-N-Out rumor where they were selling five cent burgers. And the traffic peaked. I think we were, it was, we were doing about a quarter million visitors a month then. And I'm still, in, I didn't know what to do with it. And then I realized there's something going on here. And so that's kind of the origin of Food Beast was just blogging one day at a time about the stuff that I cared about in food, which is I couldn't find anywhere else online. Very, very. How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around, available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn, quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip. Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning, too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years, helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. 
no English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long-term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. In today's world, which I will admit can at times seem filled with too much of the wrong information, it's essential to find a good source that truly gets to the heart of what I want to know. I am super excited about our next sponsor as I've been a big fan of their content for some time now. That sponsor is the Washington Post. Their depth on topics from business to tech isn't just impressive, it's essential reading for me. Whether I'm catching up on the latest tech trends or understanding how the day's news truly impacts my family, the Washington Post is my trusted source. Let's talk specifics. Their business and tech coverage, absolutely top-notch. Just imagine having the most insightful articles at your fingertips, including the unparalleled AI reporting from Drew Harwell or the pulse on tech and online culture from Taylor Lorenz. And the best part? You can listen to articles just like you listen to this podcast, making it perfect for your busy lifestyle. I was just reading an article from one of my favorite Washington Post writers, Frances Stead Sellers. She covers entrepreneurs like myself, but also covers other interesting topics, including health, as well as some very interesting books. I also love getting their For You newsletter, which is their roundup of stories tailored just for my interests, right in my inbox every evening. The Washington Post app is super well done, I think. It makes it incredibly easy to stay up to date and follow my favorite journalists on the go. And if you ever thought that the Washington Post is just about politics, think again. They cover everything under the sun, from climate and culture to crosswords and cooking, providing a world of surprising stories and vital insights. Okay, enough of the love fest that I have for the Washington Post. Here's the deal. Being a listener of the Kara Golden Show has its benefits, and this one is too good to miss. Now is the time to sign up for the Washington Post. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. Very cool. And so was it just you? At the time, it was just me. I had a roommate who was a chef who kind of inspired me to, to kind of cover food because I, I wasn't a foodie. I couldn't cook. I, my mother is a great cook and I was blessed, but I didn't learn from her at all. So I don't really have a passion to cook, but I knew there were people that liked food but didn't need all the pretentiousness around it. And I wanted to fill that gap. I wanted to fill that gap. I was like, one day I'm like, maybe we'll be like Food Network. Maybe I'll make shows. I was a film major. So I wanted to create video. And I was like, I got to start here because it's cheaper. And I'm going to just write about food. And then um, that's kind of how it started. 
That's awesome. So the video side of it was really the passion of the really the film student who was trying to figure out what he wants to do with this. And then, I mean, you were really early, like actually figuring out video. I mean, now everybody is like, I got to make videos. And so for us, it wasn't how to how to make video. I knew what I wanted to do video wise. And as soon as I graduated college, um, I'm a very safe, quote unquote, entrepreneur. So I worked for an ad agency right out of college and I was like, I'm going to make that money. And I didn't know that you could ask people for money. I didn't know there were funding rounds. I had no idea. I was just like, businesses have to be profitable. And so I rented an office space with two of my college, two of my high school buddies, Jeff, who's now our CEO and Rudy, who's our CTO. And we're each running our own design an ad agency in a probably a 500 square foot office with a bathroom that was also our kitchen. It was disgusting. And we're like, all right, first person, we're all gonna work on this in our off time. We're gonna use this office for meetings. And when anyone's business kind of takes off, we'll help the other out. And so we'd all work our nine to five and we would come here after and, and chug away. And the Food Beast office started getting all these packages. People wanted to be featured on the site whether it was a drink company sending stuff over or a new gummy bear, whatever it may be. So we started opening these packages and I called my friend, Mark, who made videos together growing up, who now is our director of video. And I was like, can you just film us opening these packages as if it's like a TMZ style newsroom for food? And there's three desks in this place, so it's not a newsroom. And people started digging that on YouTube, like 5,000 viewers here, 10,000 viewers there. And then this digital website at the time, I forget the name, they coined us the TMZ of food. And I kind of just ran with that for a while. So that immediately became us doing food video online was showing an office life of a food company. You never saw how Food Network operated behind the scenes. And I was like, that's good brand building. So that was the early stages of video for us. Was YouTube. YouTube. Yeah, that was huge. And then what was like... At what point did you branch outside of YouTube? Did you feel like? We tried everything. So whatever came around, we would try it. So YouTube was good. Um, and we went a traditional YouTube route with signing with the multi-channel network and trying to build that audience. But we kept the focus on foodbeast.com. We wanted to make sure that we're not, we're not YouTubers. We're not that funny. And we're not talented in that sense. We were running a a news organization. We wanted to make sure we never lost. Yeah, you guys are a media company. We yeah. So when people asked if we were influencers, we're like, no, like, I love influencers, but they're, that's not us. And then before you knew it, we just tried every platform that came out. Instagram, day one, let's get an Instagram account. And they didn't have video yet. We did photo there. What really was crazy was when Facebook came around and no one was putting food videos up yet. This is before Tasty. This is before Tastemade and all that. Tastemade wasn't even a company yet. We put up a video of some gal sent us cinnamon rolls being built in her bakery. Just a long, beautiful table of just dough being rolled. For some strange reason, unedited, very raw, I decided to just put that on our Facebook page. And no one really knew how Facebook was going to push video at the time. And then I saw that video get 100,000 views in two minutes. I didn't know that was possible. We had, say, 100,000. This was on Facebook. This was on Facebook. Yeah. And we've gotten millions of views on YouTube, but it takes a couple weeks. Yeah. And I was like, there's something crazy. 
crazy here. And at the end of 24 hours, that video had 16 million views. And I had to pinch myself a little bit. I was like, holy cow, we didn't, someone submitted this video, we got licensing and rights to it, and we just put it online raw, unedited. We're like, okay. Did you buy any ads around it or? No, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. We had nothing to sell. Facebook wasn't, to this day, Facebook's a little slow on getting Yeah, yeah. And, but I was just like, holy cow, 16 million views. And our audience grew and so forth. And so our ethos on video became, it doesn't have to be as polished. Again, we're an unfunded company. So like whenever I saw something like that, I just wanted to kind of take advantage at the time. And we started publishing these raw videos that people were sending us. They cooked something in the kitchen and we thought the idea was good enough. We would publish that on our Facebook page. And that really started growing our audience and the brand around now. Facebook, what I've learned is that just because it's views doesn't mean you're doing any sort of yeah. brand building, which is a really important thing to remember. And sometimes it got ahead of me too. I'm like, yeah, we did 60 million views on this video, but was Food Beast anywhere involved with that video? Like 60 million people saw it, but does anyone know Food Beast? And so that's been our kind of ethos in the past couple of years is as things grow on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, whatever platform, TV, whatever platform we're doing, does it still intrinsically say Food Beast? Um, and that, that's kind of my role at Food Beast is making sure that the content you see out there reminds you of Food Beast and it's different from the other great content creators out there. Well, I think what you're talking about is, you know, you've gone from almost being a service to being a brand, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And and so how do you, you know, put your stakes in the ground around, you know, Food Beast just bringing this to you guys, and yeah. which I think is is super important, so. Yeah, what's great about the people I work with, I can't stress it enough, is that if, if I was solely running this company, it probably would have been out of business years ago. The fact that I'm just a content guy. I love, I just love cool shit. If I see it, I get excited about it, I just do it. But other things scare the shit out of me, like uh, events. I have a partner, Jeff and Rudy, the, my, two of my co-founders, they used to throw these underground raves. They're in high school, they would buy 20 or 30 kegs and they would throw it at these cottages at first, then they would rent warehouses in LA, $5, all you can drink. And pretty soon these events were getting to like 5,000 people, 10,000 people and they would brand it bottomless beer. And so I saw once that SWAT team had raided it because it's just an unsanctioned event. And so I remember that. And a couple years ago, Jeff comes to me, he's like, we should start throwing events. And I was like, why? That's terrifying. Uh, You know, what if no one shows up? We'll be embarrassed and all this noise. And so we started small because when you have no money, can't do anything but you have to has to be right you have to sell out you have to do good things and so we threw our first ooze fest all cheese all you can drink all you can and eat. it's called the ooze fest, it's the ooze fest. <laughs> awesome stuff. and we had a thousand tickets to sell like our goal was to sell a thousand tickets and that's the capacity that we have in this parking lot near our office yeah but again we have no money we have no sponsors we have the money that we have to pay our employees but outside of that you know we readily invest right back into the company and the event sold out and it i was terrified still even i was like we sold these tickets and then they're like 60 or 70 bucks a ticket all you can eat and i was like what if they still don't show up what if they don't care what if they forget 
And sure enough, just my partner's pushing me in these like new directions of, okay, the food that they're seeing online, that our fans are seeing online, how do we bring it to them in person? How do we create these memorable experiences that they can't forget and bring the whole food world 360 to them? So our goal one day is to throw just a massive food convention where brands can interact with young people and good content and creators and so forth. And so that's, these are the building blocks. And what ended up happening is from Oozefest, we created Nudes, 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 which is an all Asian game food festival. And it brings in esports and gaming. And what happened is the fact that we had these festivals was differentiating us from some of our competitors. Totally. How does little old food beast get a brand deal from big old Buzzfeed or big old Thrillist? Is that not only can you get content with us, you can also have your own food festival. And so that's where we started landing some of our, I don't like calling them clients because we work with them day to day and we just love what they do yeah. and grow with them. But like Nissin Cup Noodles was this legacy Japanese brand and they, they hadn't spent a lot of money in the United States. And it was an honor that they were like, you know what, we're with Food Beast, not only can we get cool video online, not only can we change our brand perception digitally, but we get a food festival that people can't, that chefs are there. Chefs are going to be right beside a cup noodle. And so the fact that they push, my partners push me into events is a, I'm very thankful for stuff like that now. And that's just how we operate is we got to try new things. And when's your next event? Our next event is Ooze Fest. It'll be our fourth Ooze Fest. I, I should know the date, but it's coming. You it's go coming. To you go to foodbeast.com and you'll see our event section and it is, it is there. Ooze Fest and Nudes, Nudes, Nudes. Those are my favorite little babies. Yeah. Well, it's really establishing your brand. And I think that that's, you know, a really, uh, you know, important aspect of it. I mean, it's interesting. We've talked about this at Hint a bunch that uh, there's a brand in the UK called Innocent which is one of my favorite brands. And the guys that started it, like you, three guys from college that all went to college together and they really liked smoothies. And so they decided that they were going to start the smoothie drink and they got really lucky and got it into Starbucks in the UK. And then they like grew it from there and the company was acquired by Coke. And it's probably, I mean, I don't know, I'm guessing they're probably billion and a half at this point. I mean, they're, yeah, they're big, really, really big. But anyway, so I've gotten to know the founders over the years. I mean, they started probably, I don't know, 15 years ago. And so they used to do these festivals and they'd get really pissed because they'd be like, you know, running up against Coke, you know, to do the festivals. And they were like, you know, we should just do our own festival. And like, everybody just kind of laughed, you know, they're like, you can't do your own festival. Like, what are you, what are you guys talking about? Your yeah. beverage company, right? And so they had another buddy who who was like working in the parks, like totally different job, and was working in Hyde Park, the biggest you know park in London. And they're like, "What would it take for us to like do a concert in Hyde Park?" And they're like, "He's like, what, what are you talking about?" And they're like, "We're just going to get a bunch of bands, and we know people in bands, and we're going to just do this, and we're going to do it in Hyde Park." And they're like. He's like, I don't know. I'll ask my boss. So he goes and asks his boss and his boss is like, well, if they did it on Sunday, like in the winter, 
like when nobody like, comes and then then we'll do, then we'll let them do it like it's going to cost him you know some stuff and you know and they can only be here for two hours and whatever and they're like fine like we just want to do it just because it's just funny that we're just going to go start our own thing yeah. and so they did it and like now it's like it's bigger than ACL. It's bigger. No <laughs> it's like, and now like bands like like beg them to be a part of the Innocent Festival. And it's uh, it's funny. We're we're sponsoring Outside Lands up in up in okay. San Francisco. And I was telling one of the people that we deal with at Outside Lands that like I said, I don't know. I think I'm gonna like instead of paying you guys like next year, I think I think I'm gonna do my own festival. And she was like laughing and I was telling her the story and then she's just like, I cannot believe that they started their own festival. And I'm like, yeah, and if you talk to these guys, like they are now like I mean, they're definitely, you know, a beverage company still to this day and they're all over Europe and that they're like the U S is probably one of the only countries that they're not in now. And, but you know, they're also a media company, right? Like they're, they've got all of this great content. They've got people enjoying the product and then, and, and they also lock everybody, you know, well, they can't lock Coke out now because Coke now owns them, but they're like, you know, hint can't be part of that festival. Right. They do their own thing. Yeah. Right. So anyway, brilliant. They've done a bunch of other stuff that's really super brilliant. But you should read their book actually on the founders and it'll make you think like, you know, they're really funny, too, that that's like a whole other aspect of. Oh, seriously. I mean, no. To do something that massive. Yeah. On paper sounds stupid. Yeah. Like it sounds stupid. Like we're going to throw our own festival. Like, no, if you're a drink brand, you work through the traditional sponsorship route. Yeah. You don't throw your own. You just. I need to bring them actually when I go to the UK in June, I'm going to go and interview these guys because they're just really like people always ask them like, so did you like know how to throw a concert? They're like, no, of course not. Like it is just we're just I don't know. Like we just thought it was really funny. And and like we we actually wondered, like, are people going to come? Are they going to pay for tickets? Like it's it's in the winter. Like who's coming, yeah. you know, and, and anyway, it sold out and actually, so life is good, you know, the t-shirt yeah, yeah, company. Yeah. So they did the same thing. They followed the innocent guys and that's why they started. They have a big festival in Massachusetts too. So yeah, especially as you're starting to think about this and get into this, you should like, you know, read sort of same kind of story. The experiences are so beautiful. Like it's, it's the one thing that you can't really take away from people. Yeah. Like as like Amazon gets bigger and, yeah. and you know. Uh, you see retail kind of shutting down. It's it, now it's all those old shopping malls are becoming havens for food. Like they're yeah. turning into food malls, and so that's kind of like our the leg that our festivals stand on now is they've seen all this stuff online and they want to go now and experience. The only thing that digital can't really take away is like going and being around other people, eating and consuming. Yeah. And I think that's a sexy thing that we're just trying to hold on to and kind of foster. Well, and I think from a content perspective, too, like that's that's super, you know, if you're not doing tons of content with it now, like oh, we are we are expl- like our content is the only way we get people to come to the festival. Yeah. So if there are 20 restaurants that are there, they each get a free food beast video. They yeah. All get, they, the barrier to entry to come to our festivals as a restaurant is create something cool to share with the world. Yeah. But I mean, also for you, like filming these oh, yeah. people and like the amount of like 
you know, they enter and they agree to actually be filmed. Like that's, you know, that's like a whole other piece of it too. Oh yeah. I mean, people are sharing that experience with the world just by entering the festival grounds. That's right. Yeah. So it's a, it's a whole super cool thing. So what have you learned like since, so since 2008, as you've, you know, you're obviously a media company. I mean, we look at a lot of media companies that are, you know, traditional media companies that are, you know, really fighting the whole advertising model now. They're they're merging with other companies to stay alive. A lot of them don't even have people like working full time for them anymore. They're hiring, you know, freelancers to do all of their stuff. And, you know, where do you think like how will you differentiate to, you know what I loved is we never had a business model. Mm-hmm. We never had a business plan. And we built everything in a way that was comfortable for us. So when we started we didn't hire anyone until there was enough. We didn't work full time on the project until we hired a managing editor before any of the co-founders put ourselves on payroll. Um, and then it started trickling one by one. So once our managing editor was hired, we saw enough cash flow. They brought me on. Our partners were like, you know what, Eli, you go first. Like, right? We need we need more content, and the better the content, the more money we can make. And then great, okay, Eli got on board. Now it's like Jeff's turn. Jeff, we need someone to sell these ads now. And our big thing was we just wanted to stay true to how rough around the edges Food Beast brand was. Um, Because as many people that came into the quote unquote food game, none of them, uh, that was about to talk shit, (laughs) but none of them really, they all became somewhat the same. Mm They all were very safe knowing this is how we work with Walmart. This is how we work with this one. We're like, someone still has to have an honest look at food. Um, and so us staying true to that, the first couple of years, we didn't sell anything. Mm-hmm. Who would want to work with a brand like that? And then people started falling into place. People started really respecting just a voice that was different than the rest. Because you can you can buy advertising with great brands that are very safe and but. The, the relationships that we were building with these brands were that we want to help and be authentic to our audience and we're going to help you be authentic to yours. Um, and then eventually that just stuck through. And, and now we work with a lot of the same brands year after year after year. Um, and we just try to not deviate from that. And that's really, really helped. So we still have a core team. I think we have about, I think we just, we have 18 employees. And we have a slew of contractors across the country, but you know, we've had a couple deals come our way. We're like, would you guys like some, some further investment? And I I humor them at first. And then I was like, I just don't know what I would, if you gave me $10 million, I wouldn't know what to do with it right off the bat. Because a lot of the stuff that we've built that we're really proud of, like our festivals that if, if someone gave me a million dollars to throw the first festival we did, it, there would have been way too many expectations. Mm-hmm. I feel like we may have lost potentially the authenticity that that festival held. Instead, we used our own resources and now we sell out these five to 7,500 person festivals. So we're just growing. So next year, let's go for 10,000 people um, and use, not go beyond our means. And I think that is like, I'm really fortunate that we went that route in our company. That's just what worked for us. That's not for everyone. There's people that utilize investment really well. For us, we're like, you know what? 
we no longer have anyone to answer to when you know a festival does this and now we can start another festival or launch a new tv show or whatever because it's all just kind of us we just look around the room and our employees everyone there like some of the best ideas come from someone that maybe started two weeks ago and you know it's an open forum some of our biggest videos were recommendations from a developer or a new account manager like she might have like the best idea in the world like great let's run it because there's not too much friction to get from idea to execution yeah so. Well, you're still controlling your own destiny, which I think is the, you know, it's the entrepreneur's dilemma, right? Yeah. What you're talking about. Yeah. And so, and it's, you know, you see the, the unicorns out there that, that are, you know, going out and raising tons of money. And then you think like, well, maybe, or you've got one person internally that sort of convinces you to do it. And then, you know, I always tell entrepreneurs, it's, you know, there's, it's a, it's a fine line, and and I'm a big believer that wherever you take investment from, uh, you have to look at it as a marriage, right? Sure. Like, do you want to like hang out with these people, and you know, do you want to, you know, Mark Zuckerberg has has talked a lot about not just in in terms of growing the team, but also investors. It's like a he does walk and talks um, with them, and you know, and sees whether or not he can actually go hang with somebody for a few hours. And like whether or not he enjoyed the conversation or, you know, this was way back in the early days when he was building. And yeah. he still does that actually with his, his uh, team of people, the, the core team of figuring out whether or not he can hang with them. It's not just a hour interview style, but I really think that it's the same thing with investors because the number of people I've talked to who have ultimately like, you know, done things, but like build festivals, not in the way that they really wanted to do it, but they had to because you know, their investor was, was really controlling sure. what they were doing. I think it's an important piece. Yeah. And I don't want to paint the light of, of investors not being valuable. Yeah. Right? And, and, and our investment potentially came in other ways, like incredible knowledge that we were gifted, right. By just the person at the right time. And it may not have been money. So like, we've just been very, uh, I feel blessed that we've had people that instead of money, they just gave us great feedback. Yeah. Amazing feedback. So we're not the kind of people at Foodies are we're like shutting things like that down. It's just an idea of sometimes one guy was like, you don't actually need my money if you do this. And this is someone at a major media company that we, they were courting for a while. They were courting us. And on, on the last meeting, he took me aside and was like, don't do this. He was like, you're this close from just kind of doing it yourself. And he was like, if you want this money, you can, but like, you don't need it right now. You don't need it right now. He didn't say you should never get it. And so I, I appreciated that. And I was just like, that's just knowledge. He gave me some other knowledge too. But that's so valuable. Like be open to help and be open to criticism and always learn like that. The sooner you can learn that as an entrepreneur, I'm not saying this to you, but to everyone who's listening. No, that's um, it. I love it. Is, is, that's, that's, that's a great lesson learned. Yeah. That's when you can really grow. Like, like I learned today, like just listening to you, I'm learning new stuff. So the more you can do that, the more you'll grow and you don't shut other things out. That's like investment enough. I think there's also, that's a super interesting and important point too, because I think that, you know, you never know where you're going to get this information from, right? Like, yeah. it's like, you know, you're talking to another media company. A lot of people are like, oh, I'm not going to talk to that person. I always say to people, you know, I really learned this in tech in particular, like, 
when I was at AOL, like I was friends with Yahoo and Microsoft and like, you know, my husband worked at Netscape and we were like all friends. We were smart enough not to sort of like disclose exactly, you know, what the secret sauce was and whatever. But we were like, you know, all super friendly with each other. And P.S. We thought like if we ever get fired or, you know, need to go do something like maybe, you know, we can go and hook up and with these people and go do something else really fun and, you know, and whatever. But um, but I think that it's it's like you end up picking up little pieces of information and especially from, you know, people who, you know, you may not expect. I mean, we've had, you know, I always tell employees, especially I think it's somewhat shocking when we have executives from like Coke and Pepsi that are like hanging out at the Hint offices. People are like, wait, what? Like, you know, but they always see like they're wearing suits and stuff, you know, which is so not us, you know, and I don't like change the way I am for any of, you know, these people either. But, but it's interesting because, you know, it's, it really is like, I always encourage entrepreneurs if people will meet with you, even if they seem like they're competitors, like not that you're going to be like sleazy, but you just never know what you guys are going to learn from each other. And they may get a great appreciation out of you and sort of like what you're doing different, right? I have, I have this feeling that you can work with anyone. Mm-hmm. And like, it may be my utmost optimism that that's a thing. But I think it's I'll awesome. Take, I'll, t- I'll take a meeting with anyone, you know, like w- whether it's someone who wants to intern and they're not even in my department, but some of the best ideas that were gifted to me were from people that I least expected. I hate networking events. Like if there was one networking event that almost shut down Food Beast where it was like year one or two and Jeff and I, neither of us were full time on it. And we went to a networking event that he dragged me to at Chapman university. And this gentleman walked up to us and he was like, what are you guys doing? Like, well, I run a food website. It's called food beast. It's like the TMZ of food. And he was like, that's an awful idea. He was like, how do you differentiate from everyone else? And I was like, who am I differentiating from? Like name one thing. You're just now being, kind of talking down to me. And from that moment, I asked him what he did. He was starting a social network uh, powered by entrepreneurs that everyone needed to be a part of. And it was run entirely on a software called Flash. And Flash doesn't exist anymore for everyone who (laughs) is listening. And at that moment, I just realized that that scene particularly wasn't for me. It gave me a little bit of bad taste for networking. Anxiety and, you know, and everything else. Yeah. Maybe I I don't belong here. And, and that must have been awful for someone else who like let that get to them. It got to me for a week and then, then I got over it. But those are, now I meet great people just everywhere. Yeah. Right. It doesn't have to be at a networking event. There's people all around if you just keep your eyes on you. So if you're listening and you don't like those networking events you're that alone. you're not alone, right? Not alone. No, I think that that's, that's super awesome. So community. So community is a super big part of Food Beast. And, and where do you think like... I mean, I'm guessing you think community is important, but I'd love to sort of get your perspective as people start to grow their own, you know, communities on websites. I mean, what should they be thinking about? Being very transparent with whatever audience you have, whether it's three people, three million, 300 million, the more you can talk to them, the better the content is. Um, And content is a very universal thing. Like content could be the product that you sell. It could be the media that you create. And so um, Foodbeast has had its ups and downs. So when our content is really, really good, we're very active with our community. We listen to them. They like this. They hated this. They want to see more of this. 
when you get malaise, there was a year on YouTube where we genuinely got malaise to it. And it was a transition between YouTube and Facebook where we weren't listening to our YouTube audience. And we would just, the same content we would put on Facebook, we would put on YouTube, which is a huge no-no because the, our YouTube audience didn't want what the Facebook audience was getting. And once we course corrected that, we realized that the thing that we course corrected wasn't more money at content or anything that like that kind of infrastructure could fix was just talking and listening to our audience, read the comments. All of our news leads come from our audience, right? We have a very active tip line, direct messages to Facebook. I mean, on Facebook, we might get hundreds of leads a day that we have to filter through, but we enjoy reading every last one because you never know someone in Wisconsin is going to tell us about this new gold cheese. And if we didn't open that direct message, we'd never learn about it. So in terms of building a community, it's actually talking to them and it can't be talking down, which is like a big reason why we wanted to start Food Beast to begin with was like Food Network had all this great content personalities on their, on their channel. But the way that it was disseminated to an audience was you would watch TV and someone essentially with more experience than you was telling you how to do things where our whole ethos with recipes, with news is it's a conversation. So we obviously fact check news, but if a visitor wants to update it or let us know a new place to get it or want to share a recipe that we essentially go and share that with our community, it's a, it's a, it's a two way street. And so we never, we don't position ourselves as authorities in the old school way, but we just, we want to learn together. So food Beast is for the every person. So we're learning together. And so if we're going to go to a high end restaurant and cover that, you're going to cover it from the person who doesn't have a culinary background. So we're going to, we're going to mention a tipping trick, uh, a cooking trick to you. You're going to know what we're talking about and you're not going to hear sous vide without an explanation of what sous vide is. That's, that's our goal. That's my goal for building a community is just make it simple. Talking. Yeah. Make it simple. Just yeah. Talking. That's make awesome. So what's next for food beast? Where, where are you going in three years from now? What's Eli doing? We want to continue to build bigger, better shows, longer form, beautiful shows. We've already uh, towed it there. We have some great series on Facebook watch and YouTube. Um, and we're going to keep doing it. And that's what I'm really excited about. You should see those on like new platforms, Apple TV, Roku, and so forth. And hopefully you see a festival in a town near you. So You're uh, going to do more of those. That's yeah. awesome. We started in L.A. Now we do them in, in the Bay Area. And maybe look out. We actually just came back from a festival in Florida that we threw in conjunction with Playlist Live. That was a lot of fun. So I hope people continue to come to our events and we continue to build a new kind of uh, food network together. That's super, super cool. And so you touched briefly on this so platforms like Apple TV and Roku. I mean, where do you think, like, what's the new hot one that people should be looking out for in your opinion? I think what Facebook's doing with Facebook Watch is pretty interesting. The idea of having two plus billion people on a platform that can watch something together is still, I feel, in, in its infancy. I, I couldn't tell you exactly how it's going to look. But I'm excited to be a part of that and, and watch programming like that. And they just announced that you can date, too. Did you? It's, yeah. It's like, totally That's weird. I don't want to intentionally like... So you could watch videos, <laughs> right? You could watch food videos on your first date. That's cool. Right? Yeah, a little Facebook viewing party. Yeah. On your 
new Facebook Tinder. Yes, <laughs> right? That'd be awesome. Yeah. So yeah, more shows on, on more platforms and we're going to keep trying. Like if a new platform comes out, we want to respect it enough to give it a shot. Um, and just being authentic and trying to bring more food personalities to the forefront. I think, uh, I think we as an internet have a lot of work to do, not just food beast. I think everyone that's doing really good content in food has a lot of work to do of bringing new and great food personalities to the forefront. And I'd like, that's kind of my mission over the next 12 months is like, who's out there that's doing something cool in food that wants a TV show, you know? Cause it's, it's a lot more easy now to do that than it wasn't previously. And so how can Food Beast help do that? So that's what I want to be a part of. That's awesome. It's super, super cool. So what else? What else are you, what else are you up to? So you live in LA. I, I live in Orange County. And, okay. Yeah, which LA gives me anxiety. I come here once a week <laughs> when, when Nick is like, hey, uh, Karen, I want you on the podcast. I'm like, okay, I will face the anxiety of LA. I play soccer on Wednesdays. Not very good. And I play basketball on Saturdays. That's awesome. Yeah, I keep it. I keep it simple. I like keeping it simple. I like consuming content. I love watching other people's content all the time. And that's that's my life. I love hearing about how you started this company, but you brought in people to do roles that, you know, I always encourage my team to hire people that are better than you. And it's actually a very complicated thing. I actually think that men have a harder time hiring people that are better than them than women. And, and so I'm, you know, always cracking the whip on this whole topic, you know, and then, and then when they do, I'm like, your life will be easier if you hire people that know more than you do on this particular topic. It's such an ego thing. Yeah, it is. You don't check your ego at the door, and, and I'm not. I'm nowhere near perfect on that front either. I was very fortunate that I had people around me that were just better at things than I was. Um, even at content, I, I feel like I have so much to learn. But business-wise, like, how do I interact with the brand? How do I do this? How do we do payroll? How do we update the website? Like, the people around me were better at that. That's awesome. And as soon as you like, it's not letting go of piece of your company. It's just like, how do you make exactly? How do yeah? When you go and hire really good people, and it's hard to find good people too. But if you hire people that are doing those things that you know, call it better than you, that you don't want to do, that whatever it is. I mean, I think that that's like a really. I think that's half the battle of growing a company. We uh, one thing that we talk about a lot or I talk about a lot with entrepreneurs is that entrepreneur being an entrepreneur today is sort of like this sexy, like, you know, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. And then like, if people don't have an idea, like, I'm like, well, that's sort of the first part of this is like actually coming up with an idea, but it's like, you know, especially kids that are, you know, getting out of college or getting out of high school, they're like, I'm going to go be an entrepreneur. And I'm like, you know, being an entrepreneur is super hard and yeah. And it's lonely. It's like, it can be, you know, there's, I always say there's a lot easier ways to make money, right? (laughs) I don't, it's so tough because people come up and they're like, Oh, like, tell me about being an entrepreneur. I don't, I don't even associate really. I'll be honest with you. I don't associate with being an entrepreneur. Yeah. You know, my, my dad, he, he runs his own business. It's a really great, small, you know, eight employee, uh, wood shop. Awesome. And, and 
And I just looked at him and I just didn't know any different. I just mm-hmm. saw him going to work, providing for our family. And I was just like, I don't know any better other than like, I didn't know that was an entrepreneur. Yeah. I just thought that's what people Yeah, do. he's a small business or, yeah. <laughs> so like when people are like, oh, they come up like, I was like, what do you do? He's like, well, I'm an entrepreneur. I was like, but what do you do? Like, yeah. Like, and yeah. like, oh, well, like I'm between things, right? I'm like, well, what do you like? What do you care about? I can't talk with other entrepreneurs that are just like, they, they have business plans, but they don't have like a brand. They don't have things to do. Yeah. Right? And because if I wanted to do that, I would just go work for a company and fulfill awesome roles. And there's, I love that. I, I work for amazing companies and fill those roles. They're so fulfilling. You can make a great living and be very content in your life. But this like sexifying of entrepreneurship needs to come with the balance that like, it's not that sexy. No. And let an idea lead you and not the other way around. Totally. And having the right idea. I mean, what you talked about your dad and, you know, I'm sure he's, he's a, he's a creator, right? Like, and he loves what he's doing and, and doing, you know, that kind of work is probably not easy every single day. And no, you got to. He still does it because he loves it. Because he, he loves it. He still does it. And he loves it. He goes to work every day because it's his place. Yeah. My mom loves it. Like, she's very supportive and she does that. And um, so that, but that's where I got, if there was an entrepreneurship gene, it was from him. And I got the, just kind of like, put your head down and work. Go out and make money. They didn't understand what Foodbeast was until like their friends and family were sharing it on Facebook. Yeah. They still, to this day, like, I don't live at their house or anything like that. And they're like, oh, we get it now. You're okay. <laughs> and so. That's awesome. That's awesome to that hear that. That was fun. That was fun. It's funny. I was talking about a year ago, long, crazy story, but the founder of SoulCycle, one of the founders, Julie, was chatting with her and her mom had met actually my mother-in-law in sort of a crazy situation. And she came back to Julie and said, so I met this woman and she sounds like her daughter-in-law is a lot like you. Like she created this water company, Hint. Have you ever heard of it? And she said, yes, mom, I've, I've heard of it. And she's like, yeah, it's really crazy. And I told her that you had created this like bicycle company where people like go and they go on bikes. And like, I just think it's so crazy. Like you, you know, two female entrepreneurs create these things that like, I don't know, like, and I can't believe like she knew about your company and like, and I was, and she said, yeah, no mom, we, we were like acquired by, you know, Equinox. Like we have them in every city. Like it's not just in New York, you know, and, and she, yeah. Right. And, and she's, she's like, yeah, but I didn't really understand until like I met somebody who knew about soul cycle and, and she's, yeah. And so she had to call me and tell me this story. And she was like, yeah, you know, I don't know. You just like hear these, I don't know. It's a validity, right? That, yeah, yeah. That You can make millions until your mom's friend understands. Right. And then it's, and then it's fine. Or it's being talked about on Facebook. Then it, then it's like, you've now like hit it. You've hit the big time, right? No, it's, it's so, so, so true. It's so funny. But anyway, I really like, I always encourage people to, which I think you've done that it's the whole concept of getting, you know, there's nothing wrong with being a contributor, right? In terms of like, if you don't have a great idea, like maybe you should go like work at Food Beast, for example, and right and explore. And also like, you know, especially if you can work in a small company, you said you have 18 people in the company where you can actually like 
you know, you may not be able to talk to Eli every single day, but you can actually sort of watch and feel kind of the energy of, you know, what he's going through and sort of building this company. And I think it's such a great experience for people, you know, even before, like if they've come from a big advertising agency, for example, before you actually like go and do your own thing, like go and work for a startup and go see, right? Like go see the everyday stuff. Like, you know. There's so much value in any size company. You so if you work totally. for a company with 5,000 people, well, you, you're getting a great look at um, corporate culture and how that's structured and that's valuable. And you can learn how to operate within it. You can know one day when you own your own company that like this is kind of either maybe you like how this worked or maybe you yeah. didn't like and you can fix it. You can work for an ad agency with sub 50 people, which is where I was working at before Food Beast. Amazing. I can see the co-founders on certain days. I can contribute fundamentally to their business, which is extremely valuable. And I was proud of the work I was doing. But for when I just don't love hearing when people are like, thinking of dropping out of school to chase something before they know what they're chasing. Like if you, yeah. if you have your idea, go full board. But there's what I want to be wary of when people talk about entrepreneurial pursuits is that there is fundamental value in working for other people. Yeah. A hundred percent. You can create anywhere. You can create at an ad, ad agency. Like, just because you don't own the company doesn't mean anything. You own the work that you did. A hundred percent. And enjoy it. And so to think that you can't learn and the only thing sexy about being an entrepreneur is being your own boss. Like everyone has a boss. I have a boss. You have a boss. Like people stop buying your product. Your customers are your boss. You, you don't want to be here. So as soon as you understand that, like you can actually take advantage of the time you're at these places. Like if I just moped around the ad agency because like, I don't know. Yeah. Luckily that they had a great culture. That's valuable. And I just kept that. So I encourage people to just try, go work, go try stuff. I didn't, I didn't stop working at other, I I didn't stop um, my other jobs until I was very, very sure I was going to be good, which is like not for everyone either. I maybe not as big a risk taker as some, but you know, I love working for other people too. Yeah. That that's a, no, that's key. Actually that, Adam Grant. Have you heard of Adam Grant? So he's written a book about that and uh, talks a lot about that exact thing that there's, you know, definitely a trend towards people, you know, managing risk, not just going full throttle into starting something, but taking baby steps in order to, you know, eat and survive and, and not go raise a pile of money, but actually test the concept. So I think that that's, you know, really, really cool stuff. And then also, you know, talking about Julie from SoulCycle, I mean, she just announced that she went to WeWork. And um, so she didn't go, she couldn't, she didn't come up with like the next soul cycle after she sold the company. She was trying to figure out like, what do I do next? And she was doing a little bit of investing, but she knew she really wanted to operate. And so she's now gone inside WeWork and they hired her to be the chief brand officer. And so she's, you know, not the CEO anymore. She's going in to actually help build the brand of WeWork, which is, you know, a super cool thing. And, and I want to, get her on our podcast too, to sort of talk about that decision because people always think like, well, I was a, you know, 
I was the CEO of a company. I was the founder. Like I can't, yeah, I can't go back. Like, why would I do that? But like, why can't you? Right. I know. Right. Which it's just, you know, when people say, what are you going to do next? And then there's, you know, the, the challenge that you've got to go do, you know, the next thing where like, it's got to be better than even the last thing that you did, even if you had a successful, you know, sale, right? Like you've got to go and it's a lot of pressure. And I've talked to entrepreneurs, you know, it's not really about the money either. It's about like doing, like they want that passion back for, you know, doing something. But I think that, you know, Julie will be a great example of somebody who's jumping into somebody else's dream and trying to actually put some branding and put some interesting DNA into it. What a valuable pursuit for her. Yeah. And you know, because I mean, especially for a company like WeWork that does good. I mean, you provide working offices for folks that are were like her months prior, years prior. Yeah. And so if she can fundamentally help that company, what a great challenge to overcome. What a thing to have on your personal resume. Like, I'm really excited to check out that yeah. podcast when you do it. I hope that. Yeah, no, 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 definitely. I would love to do it. So anyway, super cool. Well, this was so fun, Eli. And Food Beast, go check it out. Coming soon, a lot more stuff. So definitely check out what Eli is up to. Yep. And thank you, Hint. You yeah, festival. thanks. Yeah, you totally. And are you like, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you on Twitter? Or? If people want to get a hold of me, I am at Book of Eli on Twitter, Instagram, or Spawn, wherever you guys, or you can just email me, Eli, E-L-I-E at foodbeast.com. I love answering Thanks. You can see the awesome work Eli is doing at foodbeast.com and keep up with him at Book of Eli on Instagram and Twitter. That's Book O-F-E-L-I-E on Instagram and Twitter. I love giving away things that are dear to my heart, like Hint Water. So for the next three months, I'll be choosing five lucky listeners each episode to win a year's supply. To enter, all you have to do is go to karagolden.com backslash iTunes and leave a review. That's it. And if I see you tweeting it out and tagging me at Kara Golden, you will increase your chances of being picked. And as a special thank you to all of our Unstoppable subscribers, for a limited time only, you can enjoy a special hint offer at drinkhint.com slash unstoppable. If you like what you heard, please help spread the word and leave us a review. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Please talk to me at Kara Golden on Twitter. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, be unstoppable. Unstoppable. Unstoppable.